Hello and welcome back to the Introvert Theater Podcast. This is Sergio. And today we're going to be talking about the film Joker, released in 2019, uh, which was directed by Todd Phillips and also written by Todd Phillips, uh, along with Scott Silver. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck, uh, Zazie Beetz as Sophie, Robert De Niro as Murray Franklin, uh, Francis Conroy as Penny Fleck, and Brett Colin as Thomas Wayne. Now, I like to think of this film as an, as an Elseworlds comic brought to the big screen. Uh, for those unfamiliar, Elseworlds stories were similar to Marvel's What If titles, in that um, they allowed for different takes on different characters without impacting or affecting the um, the current continuity at that point in time. While um, while I can see certain similarities to Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, uh, Joker is a different beast on its own. It's part social commentary and um, part character study at its core, similar to um, Taxi Driver, which is another one of my favorite films. The film grapples with ideas about classism, uh, perceptions of mental illness and the stigma attached to them, and loneliness. Now, I brought up The Killing Joke because there's a few similarities in that the main character is the Joker in each respective story. Batman, however, is very much a part of um, The Killing Joke, whereas with Joker, he's mostly absent, and I say mostly because Bruce Wayne is roughly maybe eight or nine years old in this flick, and hasn't lost his parents by this point. Um, he, in fact, is living comfortably in Wayne Manor, and his father, uh, Thomas, is considering running for mayor of Gotham. And, of course, Gotham is naturally portrayed as a decaying city where crime is at an all-time high, uh, social services are losing their funding, and the rich thrive while the middle class slowly disappears. Sound familiar? Now, in the midst of um, all this chaos is Arthur Fleck, who is a failed clown for hire, and a comedian who is reliant on visitations with his social worker, and medication to keep his condition at bay. Now, he suffers from bouts of um, uncontrollable laughter at times where they don't necessarily match with what he's feeling. He also tells his social worker that he has bad thoughts on a uh, consistent basis, and he keeps track of his emotional state in a journal that she asks him to keep. Now, his journal is filled with um, sort of odd pornographic images that are sort of pasted on pages with faces scratched out, including uh, random thoughts that he's kind of jotted down, such as um, the worst part about Having a mental illness is people expect you to behave as if you don't. And another quote in his journal is, I hope my death makes more sense than my life. And the sense is spelled C-E-N-T-S. He also um, lives with and takes care of his mother, who seemingly has um, mental issues all her own. She insists at one point that Thomas Wayne is his biological father. In fact, there's one scene that takes place during a demonstration outside of a movie theater during a screening of Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. 
Now, it seems a deliberate choice, at least it seems a deliberate choice to me, that a film that is, um, that was, that mainly dealt with unemployment and financial crisis during the Great Depression was used as kind of a backdrop for this scene. The screening seems to be held for the wealthy, ironically, while there is a counter-demonstration outside for Wayne's bid for office with signs that <clears throat> say things like, um, kill the rich and fuck Thomas Wayne. Prior to this, Arthur is accosted by three Wayne Enterprises employees slash yuppies uh, for laughing uncontrollably. Because of their lack of understanding, they decide to beat him to a pulp on a train. Fleck's natural response is, is um, you know, pulling out a gun that was given to him by a co-worker to protect himself. So he ends up killing all three and flees the subway and locks himself in a public bathroom where he, in clown makeup, dances along with his reflection in the mirror in probably the most haunting scene, or at least one of the most haunting scenes in the film. Dancing with himself seems to be one of his coping, mechanism, coping mechanisms as we see um, throughout the film. Despite the fact that they were entitled yuppies, this is, to me at least, one of the turning points in the film where we go from kind of sympathizing with the character to being a little more cautious of our narrator. Um, also, kind of like The Killing Joke, because The Killing Joke relies upon the perspective of an um, unreliable narrator, we'll say. So the more Arthur starts to form his own personality and really become his um, ideal self, the more comfortable or liberated he feels. So his actions start to inadvertently further the what they dub the uh, Kill the Rich movement. And Thomas Wayne takes note of, notice of this, and he tries to deflate. He, I guess he tries to deflate it by referring to people that are envious of the success of others as clowns, and even calls the identified clown murderer a coward for um, hiding behind a mask, which, funnily enough, as we all know, eventually Bruce Wayne, his son, will dress as a bat to beat criminals senseless in the years to come. The character of Sophie is a single-parent mother who lives in the same apartment complex as Arthur, and comes along as sort of a comfort for him. Attending one of his stand-up gigs and going on dates and even staying by his side when his mother ends up in the hospital after suffering a stroke. The, kick the kicker here is that we find that none of these interactions ever took place, except within his mind. Fleck finds out his mother actually adopted him and allowed a former boyfriend to abuse him at a young age, causing head trauma and his eventual um, uncontrollable laughter. So naturally he finds that Thomas Wayne is not his father, though there's an implication that Wayne had her file at, um, at Arkham State Hospital fabricated or tampered with to kind of remove his name. 
Um, Arthur retaliates by smothering his mother with a pillow and suffocating her at the hospital. This isn't the first instance of um, Arthur fantasizing about making a special connection with someone. Earlier in the film, we're introduced to Murray Franklin, who is a late-night talk show host. And Arthur is actually sitting with his mom in bed as they watch. And Arthur imagines that he's in the studio audience and is noticed by Murray after shouting out loud that he loves him. So here, in this, um, I guess we'll call it a dream sequence, Murray invites him onto the stage and takes a liking to Arthur for being so warm and kind um, after he tells the live audience that he cares for his mother and that she inspires him to move forward in her own way. Uh, Murray tells him that he wishes that he had a kid like him, and that's kind of where that dream sequence ends. In fact, during a hospital scene, or I should say one of the hospital scenes, Murray runs um, Murray runs footage of a failed routine where Arthur is unable to control his fits of laughter and struggles to get through the act, or even, you know, just just get the act started in most cases, or in that case. Uh, Murray tries to, to downplay the act as it seemed to catch on in a unique way with a with a particular audience. Uh, Murray insists that laughing before your act doesn't make the bit funny at all, so he eventually decides to invite Arthur on his own show to either take advantage of or maybe even exploit him. Arthur accepts and practices his guest spot routine with gun in hand. Through his actions, we assume that he has every intention to kill himself on stage in front of said live audience. Then, the exact opposite happens, and Fleck ends up shooting Murray in the head, and is arrested after using that airtime to vent his frustrations at being sort of overlooked and spat on. Eventually, he is saved by the mob running amok on the streets of Gotham, and he is revered and he smears blood across his lips in the form of a smile. I think, just kind of thinking about it now, if, if this movie had been released at any other time, it may not have had the same effect, but... Really, who would have thought we'd see the social upheaval we saw during the first, what, few months of the pandemic that we did, across multiple states, no less. Granted, by that point well into the, to the previous president's tenure, there was already unrest and a, and a buildup of sorts. So the reaction by the people was only reactionary, really, and was a result of, um, feeling unheard, feeling disenfranchised, among other things. Eventually, when things escalate and boil long enough, it spills over into the surface level. The timeliness and the audacity of this film is what I think works in its favor in many ways. Social commentary aside, there's a few scenes in the film that'll make you sort of grit your teeth and just make you feel flat-out uncomfortable. For instance, there's a scene where a comedian is telling a joke prior to Arthur hitting the stage. 
um, talking about how women look at sex like buying a car. He says, at least in his mind, women think, can I see myself in this long term? Is it safe? Is it reliable? Will it kill me? And that punchline alone, I thought, was in poor taste because around that time, there was actually a popular tweet going around about how unsafe women felt about entering relationships with men these days. Then there's um, the scene where Arthur, as a clown for hire, is entertaining sick kids at a hospital while dancing. Um, his gun kind of falls out of his pocket and just rolls across the floor. There's an un uncomfortable silence as he kind of scrambles to pick it up. And it's funny, but it's funny in a way that is embarrassing to laugh at. And frankly, we didn't. And neither did anyone else at our screening of that film. Also, um, an interesting song choice in the film plays when Arthur fully transforms into the Joker. And Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll Part 2 um, plays while he dances down the set of stairs from just outside of his, his uh, apartment complex. And I say it's an interesting song choice very loosely. Um... Because Gary Glitter's career kind of went up in smoke when he was charged with possession of child pornography and sexual abuse. So, obviously that's nothing to snicker at, but just kind of the audacity of using that song in any way, shape, or form in the context of this film is just an oddball choice and just, again, one of those uncomfortable things that if you know the history behind the song and Gary Glitter himself, it's just, it just leaves you with this, blech, you know, kind of feeling. So, what was it like watching this film in a theater opening day? Well, there was an online threat from a group saying that there would be mass shootings day befo days before. Um, security was extra tight that night, and an usher actually walked up and down the aisles at various intervals throughout the film, which is something they never do at my local Cinemark here. I, looking back on it now, would describe it as um, tense, and maybe equally as tense as the build-up in the actual movie. I, for the most part, <clears throat> remember it being dead silent, despite the auditorium being packed. And that was due you know, to the captivating nature of the movie itself. It was only after the movie that my brother and my friend and I really just kind of delved in and starting talk started talking about what we had just seen. All this said, this is a film you could probably spend a semester teaching and, and talking about. You could deconstruct it and talk about its themes forever in a day. It's, um... It's a bit on the heavy side, and obviously not something I can watch on a consistent basis, but I'm, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad it exists because sometimes films should challenge social norms and subvert established ideologies. Sometimes if, if something makes you feel uncomfortable, it may force you to take a look at your surroundings and 
that is something most people, um, politicians and the like, would love to keep you from. I agree with... I, I, I Actually, I should say I agree with Arthur Fleck's actions about as much as I agree with Travis Bickles. While I find both of their actions abhorrent, I understand that they're a product of their... You know, they're a product of circumstance. And most of all, fictitious characters. As we face things like book banning in the year 2022, these are things I wish everyone kept in mind and were willing to accept that sometimes fiction will in fact um, mirror fact, and sometimes that's just a horrible truth that has to be accepted. If at any point during the film you felt offended, trolled, or uncomfortable, then it succeeded in ways that a lot of films fail. I'm sure I could go on and on about the film, but I think I'll stop there. I think this is a good place to stop and call it a night, or an early morning. <laughs> um, next episode will be a little lighter. Um, it's going to be a Let's Talk episode, and I'm going to go over what I like to call palate cleansers, um, my film-watching habits, and my go-to flicks, and why those flicks are my go-to flicks. That'll be posted the week of February 7th, um, till then, take care, stay healthy, and let's start taking care of each other, for God's sake. Um, I was sick for about three weeks straight. Um, what I had, I'm going to leave that up to others to decide. I can imagine um, that it was probably a lesser form of the Rona. And it wasn't fun. I went in and out of a fever, um, was constantly fatigued, and uh, more so than usual. Uh, felt like I was burning from the inside, but didn't have a detectable fever. So, yeah, again, stay healthy, and let's just take care of each other and get through this shit. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and... I will see you soon.